Hello, fellow friends, family degenerates, and welcome to another edition of Caged Wisdom MMA. My name is Josh, and I am your co-host, along with Buck Schlurf over at MMA Nerd. Good eye, mate. <laughs> we got a uh, that's a great introduction. <laughs> we got, <laughs> we got a uh, a pretty great card coming up in UFC 284. There's a lot of things that have been happening with the UFC. Uh, you know, they got the new Power Slap promotion, which we're all. Uh, are you excited about that? We're ravenous fans of Power Slap over here at Cage Wisdom MMA. We just can't get enough. Is it is it me or does it seem like the Power Slap promotion has gotten more visibility than UFC 284? I would say so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say I've seen more clips of dudes getting clocked without defending themselves than I have seen any like promotion of legitimate mixed martial arts talent in yeah, the even last on my Instagram you know, couple page, of weeks. I, I'm seeing it. You know, did you hear about Michael Bisping where he, he got challenged to slap a guy in the back and uh, at, at the promotion and he couldn't compete after that? Because did he really? Cussed. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. Wait, he got challenged. One of the guys asked Michael Bisping to slap him in the face before he went out to get slapped in the face? This is correct. Is that well, not so amazing? I don't, here's what, I don't say this often, but maybe... 2K to win, 2K to to show is enough for these guys. You know, maybe I, they I, don't deserve I, any more than that. I, I don't know. <laughs> that, yeah, I, I agree. That's I don't know bottom of the barrel behavior, dude. Well, Michael Bisping thought he was going to get fired after it too because they they were doing the announcements to bring him in and the guy just didn't show. And it turns out he oh. was he was like hurt or concussed or or something like that because he was concussed. That's was insane. Concussed. Yeah. So, uh, you know, me and, and, and MMA nerd over here were talking before the call got started, just trying to digest UFC 284. Uh, you know, it's an exciting card. It's good to see the UFC is starting to put together um, some more marquee fights. That being said, some of these fights that are on the main card, which is we're going to be going over today, are a little bit, uh, a little bit suspect, I would say. Uh, just in the fact that even Buck and I, who follow the sport religiously, have watched essentially every fight that's been put out by the promotion. Uh, but there's not a lot of name brand recognition once you get past the the, the first couple of fights. And we were just talking about how, you know, we didn't even know that it was an interim belt on the line uh, until recently. It's just something we haven't seen a whole lot of in our Instagram feed. But, uh, you know, I, I think the UFC is starting to trend uh, a little bit more in the right direction. You know, they've got this deal with ESPN. It's caused some them issues, uh, you know, because they're they're paid by the amount of of promotions they're putting on right now, and they've got the UFC Apex Center, all that kind of stuff that's going on, and so it's caused for some more watered down events. Uh, this one has got some really good matchups on it, though, and I know that we've got the John Jones fight coming up against Cyril Gon. Really, really excited about that. So I think, uh, you know, even though I said there's a couple of fights that I don't think should be on the main card, I'm really, really excited about it because there's some interesting stylistic matchups. So. Without further ado, I feel like I overused that comment, by the way. Uh, UFC 284, these are the fights we're going to be breaking down. Jimmy Crute versus Alonzo Menafield. Justin Taffa versus Parker Porter. Jack Della Madalena. Madalena? Madalena. Madalena versus Randy Brown. Yair Rodriguez versus Josh Emmett. And Islam Makachev versus Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, two or three of those fights, really, really excited about. So... We're going to go through all of them. We're going to give our predictions. We're going to tell you why we're going to predict it that way. And then if you, uh, you know, we're not really aligning towards the betting side of it necessarily, but 
uh, we'll give you the the odds going into it. So let's go ahead and get started. First off, Jimmy Crute minus, and this is from yesterday on DraftKings minus two hundred five versus Alonzo Menafield, who's plus one seventy five. Why don't you kick us off? Well, um, for those of you who are wondering why I opened with uh, a classic good eye might, uh, UFC two eighty four is in Perth, Australia. And the first three fights that we're going to talk about all have some homegrown talent. Uh, Robert Whitaker was supposed to be on this card as well against Paulo Costa, but that fell apart for a couple of reasons. So we'll just um, move on past that. I do think we're going to see some good representations of Australian talent, and Jimmy Crude is one of them. Uh, Up-and-comer, I think he's young. He's 26, 26, I think, which is really young in his career. 12-3 and is a decent record for being that young. And um, and a lot of those losses, his last two, he's on a two-fight skid right now, but I don't really hold those against him so much. Um, one of them was against the new champ at 205, Jamal Hill. Uh, First-round stoppage, he just got clipped, and he went down. Happens to everybody, happens to the best of us. I don't know if that was like a demonstration of a failure to prepare or a lack of skill. I think people just get clipped. It even happened to the champ, Islam Mahashev. He got clipped, and uh, and people go down. The other uh, loss he had was against Anthony Smith, and that was weird also. Uh, he got kicked in the back of the knee, I think, and I think Anthony Smith's toe got him right in the nerve point or something like that, and... Um, you know, I'm taking an anatomy class right now. I really should know what that is. Anyway, uh, and he gave him drop foot. So when Crude tried to plant his foot back on the mat, his like ankle was kind of like just dangling loosely from the bottom of his leg, and he couldn't support himself up, and uh, Smith jumped on him and pounded him out. Um, the only other loss was, you know, this one was interesting, was against Misha Sirkinov. He got him in the only Peruvian necktie I've ever seen in the in the UFC. Um, it was a real slick choke. And, you know, that's just a, a, a young kid getting caught by a much more experienced grappler. So uh, I think all those losses are forgivable. Um, so I'm not going to hold those against him too much. I mean, still 12-3. Twelve and three, yeah. Uh, his opponent, Alonzo Menafield, thirteen and three. Um, he's a little bit older, and I think his losses are a little bit more um, indicative of a way to beat him than Jimmy Crutes are. Um, Menafield is big and he's powerful. Um, he is super durable, and he will kind of force exchanges where he has you know, set himself up for success. If he is engaging with your back to the fence, he can kind of force um, a little wider stance from you so that you don't get the same kind of power and the same torque on your punch. And if you can't hit him as hard as he's about to hit you, he's going to win that exchange. Um, And he's relied on that. I think he's got like 10 first-round stoppages or something like that. TKO. TKO, maybe not in the first round. Yeah, and I agree with you on Menifee. I mean, he's... He's a little bit of a one-trick pony. He doesn't have a very robust ground game. And this is not, I would say, uh, a classic tale of a grappler versus a striker because each of them have components of of the other skill set. You know, Jimmy Crew, his path to victory is going to be pretty clear here. He's got to get the takedown, and he's got to wear out Menafield. Menafield's got a really strong, thick, stocky body, so he gasses out pretty quick. 
So if Jimmy Crute's able to go in there and and get him up in the clinch, bring him down, spend some time on top, I think he's got a pretty good shot of taking this. You know, I, I was watching a, a a podcast couple or I was listening to a podcast a couple days ago, and they said something that was pretty interesting to me. They said when they were breaking down film on Jimmy Crute, and I went back and I watched it, and I quite frankly agreed. They said that his striking reminded them a lot of Ronda Rousey. You know, he holds his hands up high, he bounces a lot. And he just doesn't look real comfortable. And he puts mm. himself in a lot of positions to get hit, which I think that's where Alonzo Menafield's path to victory is, right? He's going to be catching uh, Jimmy Crew on the way in, trying to get a takedown, because I think if Alonzo Menafield hits you, he's one of those unique strikers that has so much power and so much torque because he throws everything into it that uh, there's a good chance Jimmy Crew's going to get knocked out. So the odds on this one is Jimmy Crute minus 200 and Alonzo Menafield plus 175. Uh, I see a, a case for taking either one of these fighters. I don't see a clear cut. Um, like in my mind, I don't see it, it definitely going one way or the other. And as you all know, if you've listened to podcasts, I have been wrong before, but we're not going to hold that against me right now. But, you know, what are your thoughts? Do you, I mean, do you think that, what do you, I mean, let's see here. So for Jimmy Crute, He's got a 75% takedown accuracy. He's averaging 4.87 takedowns every 15 minutes. He hasn't gone against, I guess he has, he has gone against as good a talent or better than Alonzo Menafield's, uh, uh, you know, roster of victims. Do you think he's got what it takes to get him down up against the fence? I mean, how is he going to get him down? He doesn't have a blast double, really. Yeah, so I think that's going to be the problem. Uh, yeah, any try, any like strength-based takedown, if he tries to you know, Starch, run through him no and chance. scoop up a, a single leg. Yeah, he's just going to hit a brick wall. So I think he's got to be a lot more clever with his uh, takedowns. And I think they're, you're you're right. They're going to have to happen against the cage. And they're going to have to happen against the cage after he has held him up against it for a bit. I think the early rounds need to be spent for Crute. This is up against the cage, hanging off of Menafield's neck and weighing him down. You're either putting your head in his chest and and pushing his head up and taking away his ability to strike and you're starting to work the body um, and try and lace a leg and get a trip or something like that or you are hanging on the back of his head and forcing him to use his low back to stand up uh, out from under you. That's what he's going to have to do to slow him down early and probably try and drag him down with, you know, with a single leg and run the pipe uh, after he's started to slow or get him with a trip when he tries to use an explosive movement to get out from that clinch exchange. Uh, I don't see Crute winning in the first two rounds. I think if he slows him down enough, he can uh, get a choke on him. I don't know if he's going to TKO, but I, I could see Crute getting a submission late if Menafield tires. Um, but I have seen Crute go down before. It's a lot of dangerous um, waters to wade through, isn't it? It is. It's dangerous to wade through, but um, that's the only way through, I think. Um, he does have to be very careful because Alonzo Menafield likes to set up those big, powerful shots. He can take a punch better than Crute can, yep. and if Crute's going to play the game of I hit you, you hit me, he's going to lose. So this is going to be a really good show of maturity for the younger fighter. This is going to have to prove that he has grown up and prove that he is going to fight like a professional and like a veteran. Um, I think that's going to show in this fight if he wins, and it's going to show what he's going to have to work on if, if he can't get it done. So that being said, what's what's your pick? I think Crude is going to get it. He's 
got home field advantage. I think he's got a really sound game plan. I think the way to beat Menafield is known. And if he can get out there and do it, he's a really good wrestler. Crute is, is a really good grappler, especially coming from Australia. Um, I think he can use those skills and hang on him and wear him out, get on his back, choke him out in the third. All right. Uh, I'm going to vary on this one. We we didn't Ooh. talk about each other's picks going into it, but you know this is a hard one for me. But I think that Alonzo Menafield is so dangerous in the first 10 minutes, and Jimmy Crute is so reliant upon getting in there and getting up against the cage. He's going to have to pin someone against the, the cage that's shorter than he is, and he's going to have to maintain it and, and be able to get uh, Alonzo Menafield down to the mat, which Alonzo Menafield, if you haven't watched him in the last two or three fights has really good takedown defense. And I think Cruz going to have to clear, cover that distance. And I think he's going to wait to some really tele, uh, some really difficult waters. And I think he's going to get caught. And I think that uh, Jimmy Cruz is going to get knocked out probably somewhere around uh, late round one, early round two. I can see that happening. That's a pretty good pick. All right. All right. So next is Justin Taffa versus Parker Porter, the fight that we've all had circled on the map for, are on the calendar for how long? For never. Uh, so there's a couple of fighters. <laughs> Justin Taffa, also a, a uh, homegrown talent. Uh, minus 130 versus Parker Porter sitting at plus 110. Kick us off, Buck. You know, um, Justin Taffa's a likable guy. Um, he's got a fun personality, um, and he's Great very proudly Australian. Game. <laughs> hey, I tell you what. I th- Well, I'm saying that's why I think that he's on this main card. Um no one knows I don't that. know if he's got – he doesn't have main main card skills. He gets in pretty sloppy brawls, and he either wins or he loses, and that's yeah, – um, he doesn't have a uh, – Yeah, so he loses more often than he wins, and he doesn't have a ton of, like, technical adaptations. He's got the standard big Australian kickboxer tool set. He's got heavy, heavy low kicks. He's got powerful hooks. He's got a big right hand, uh, and he's tough. Uh, he is tough in that he is willing to just take punches so he can give punches, but he feels the effects of those punches more than I think other big Australian kickboxing heavyweights yeah. you know, do. I'm talking right. Mark Hunt and Tai Tuivasa. He's in that mold, but I don't think he's got the same level of skill or durability that both of those two have that make them so great. I completely agree, but he's fighting or or fighting Parker Porter, who is 37 years old, 12 and seven, three and two in the UFC. So I guess he has one more win in the UFC. Uh, Another guy that is, you know, if you were to look at him down, walking down the road, you wouldn't think that he was UFC fighter. Um, you know, he's good. He's durable. He's got a, a good chin on him. He's got questionable cardio. He basically all of his wins are coming by decision, which I think is a tough thing against Justin Taffa. Uh, but what are your thoughts on Parker Porter? Um, You know, he's he's all right. He I mean, he's he is more, more technical uh, than Taffa is. His last fight was a loss to Gilton Almeida. That I'm not going to hold against him either. We were talking about Jalton Almeida last time. Uh, he did it again. Front kick, double leg, grounded pound, choke. Um, he's won all his fights like that. So I'm not going to hold that against Parker Porter 
losing to a young up-and-comer like that. Uh, Tafa, I think, is not going to present a series of challenges that Porter hasn't faced before. Uh, it's going to be down to whether he's still got his grit, whether he is um, moving fast enough, and whether he's got that athleticism still at 37 and to navigate around the simple but still, you know, quite in-your-face challenge that Tafa presents. I He's beaten better fighters than Tafa, so I, I think he's going to take this one. Really? Um you know, I yeah, I think he's gonna, just gonna box gonna him up, and I just haven't there. seen good update. I haven't seen good adaptations from Tafa. Uh, if he he stands, he bangs, um, and if that doesn't work, he stands and bangs harder, and that's failed him now more often than it hasn't. Okay, so that being said, I understand what you're saying, and and I think there's a lot of merit to that. But here's an interesting stat on Parker Porter. He averages mm-hmm. 1.57 takedowns over 15 minutes. And he wins all mm-hmm. of his, so far, all of his uh, his wins have come by decision in the UFC. I'm not sure if that's that's all, but all of his, mm-hmm. yeah, all of his UFC wins have come by decision. So, what does that place us? He's going to be going up against a guy that I believe hits harder, that's got a better cardio tank. He's not going to have mm-hmm. the ability to take him down. And, uh, and you know, he's, he's, because of all of his wins are going by decision, so you know he's not a thunderous striker, right? So now mm-hmm. he's going to be going toe-to-toe to a guy that is willing to, you know, to, to strike with them, that's got a better chin, that doesn't have to worry about the takedown, so you're going to be putting Justin Toffa right in his wheelhouse, which is in the stand-up game, and I think Justin Toffa has better cardio. I think he's got stronger punches. He may not have necessarily better technique, but I think he's got more ways to win because... I don't think Parker Porter has the ability to dictate where that fight goes. That's true. I, you know, I think the only thing about that takedown stat is at heavyweight, that's a little bit different um, because I think a takedown lasts a lot longer at heavyweight. So you might not need as many throughout a round. I think if, if part, somebody who's the size of Parker Porter gets on top of somebody else who's the size of Parker Porter, neither of them are exchanging positions super rapidly. It 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 doesn't. It's not like a one to one translation. A flyweight and a even a lightweight and a welterweight can move on the ground way easier, and they can move somebody their weight way easier in a grappling exchange than somebody at heavyweight can. Um, so if Parker Porter gets on top of him, you know, Tafa overcommits. Porter gets a outside trip and drags him down to the mat. Gets on top of him. I think Tafa's going to stay there for the rest of the match. Uh, or at least the rest of the round. But um, I mean, one point five still that one point five seven sure. still suggests that he's not getting one takedown per round. That's true. So that That's means true. that means in the UFC he's got to be beating people on the feet in all of his wins in you know on average of two out of every three rounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, that that that's my thought on it. I think that Justin Taffa being a, a you know from Australia. He's going to be in Australia. He's going to have more to lose. He's 29. Parker Porter is is 37 years old. I just think there's more ways for him to win. Uh, I might be wrong. I don't have a whole lot emotionally vested in this fight, to be completely candid with you. Uh, you know, I think that Parker Porter is a fringe UFC fighter. Same with Justin Taffa. It'll be a good, fun heavyweight matchup, but it's not going to be anything that's going to be bringing the other seats because by round three, they're going to be so gassed. It's going to be unbelievable. Tava does, I'll give him this, he does get into, like, 
slobber knockers. If yeah, you're like do. pulling for him and you're like trying to see him make good adaptations and make, you know, good, you know, good technical process in a in a fight, maybe it's a little frustrating, but if you're just like in it to see blood and spit fly, Tafa's your man. So, you know, whether or not he's got a game plan, I'm I'm excited to watch him throw down. Yeah, he also has a better striking accuracy. And I, mm-hmm. I hate being the MMA nerd. No way. Ah, that's your name. Ha! I, <laughs> I hate being like the stat guy, but when I'm going against it and I got to find a reason why I think the other one's going to win, sometimes I got to go down the stat line. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, Justin Toff has 55% striking accuracy versus 49%. There's more ways to win. Justin Toff is going to win. Sorry, Buck. It is what it is. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> All right. All right. Next is Jack Della Madalana. Am I saying that right? Madalana? Jack Della Madalena. Madalena uh, versus mm-hmm. Roundy Brown. Go for it. Well, uh, Della Madalena, I'm just going to call him JDM because yeah. that's a whole lot of syllables. Uh, he's the new hotness at Welterweight. Uh, he's a, he's such a, a, like a stylish boxer. It's so nice to watch like really efficient, clean technique. He never looks like he's working hard. He is gliding around. He's got really crisp, clean striking. He, those punches never take him off of his center of, of gravity. He's a really good counter puncher because of that. Um, he's been a lot of fun. He's uh, three fights into the UFC so far. All three first round stoppages. Um, he's it, on a twelve fight have, win streak, isn't he? Yeah. Does he have booming power? No, but he's a really sharp striker, and that carries a lot of a lot of finishing ability. So. The biggest thing that he's going to have to worry about is Randy Brown is so, so much longer. He's got like a 68-inch reach or something like that. It's huge. He's a long, long welterweight. And the biggest – like the most frustrating thing is watching somebody who is like very long and a striker not use their length well. Mm -hmm. Um, That was the most frustrating thing watching Stefan Struve – who just did not use his length well enough. Um, And what I mean by that is strikes up the middle, strikes, you know, at varying angles. So jabs to the body, jabs to the head, straight punches through, front kicks. Um, I really like Randy Brown likes his uh, leg kicks, um, push kicks to the leg. So he's taking his closest weapon, his lead leg, and he's just going to do like an oblique step and kind of stomp through on the thigh of his opponent. So he's using his longest weapon to attack the closest target. He can be much, much farther away and way out of striking range and kind of strike with impunity. The thing I'm worried about here for JDM is I don't want him to get caught in this like counter-strikers dilemma where he is waiting for Randy to make a mistake that he can capitalize on. But if if he's not pressured out of it, Randy's just going to stay a little outside of punching range and take pot shots and piece JDM up all day long. He's got really good use of that range, and, and he is really good about closing the distance when he needs to. Technical uh, on the ground, too, which has been really fun to see. And I don't know too much about Della Madalena's grappling game i know he's primarily a boxer primarily a no striker. one's ever seen him really I, I you know i was looking at his stats and so he's got 11 
stoppages in, in mm-hmm. his 13 wins and and you know all of them are tko and one of them was a doctor stoppage so yeah i mm-hmm. agree and i think uh randy brown what is he uh he's a brown belt in i think in so JJ. does he have a wrestling background do you know um i don't believe so but i i remember i just watched him he choked out cowboy Oliveira, who is a black belt um not that that's a one-to-one thing uh, got him with a one-armed rear naked choke uh, which was pretty cool to see. So he is like actively a threat on the ground. I don't know that he comes from like a, a traditional wrestling background. Uh, I don't know what the wrestling culture is in Jamaica, but I also don't know how long he lived in Jamaica before he moved. Cause I know he lives in New York now. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that has anything to do with his, you know, his martial arts style. It's an interesting fight but though, isn't it? it? It should be a lot of fun. It's and an interesting from a, from a storyline perspective. So mm-hmm. JDM, you know, he was he was discovered on the contender series. He's like you said 3 and 0 in the UFC. He looks like he's the a, a next level contender, right? So far with his striking. But he also, you know, who who do you beat? Danny Roberts. Uh Danny Roberts is his big win, I think. Yeah. And so, you know, the talent gap is pretty significant versus who Randy Brown's gone against. It seems like this should be a fight that the UFC is putting on as as a welcoming party for JDM. But I th- mm-hmm. think Randy Brown is a lot better than people are giving credit for. It seems early for him to be taking on someone that has that much grit, right? Because one of my my rules of, you know, looking at and, and determining UFC fight is the gatekeeper, veteran gatekeeper is always uh, uh the most dangerous fight for an up and comer. For you know the shiny new guy that's coming in, and I think that Randy Brown really meets that mat, or uh, you know meets that, whatever you know what I'm saying. Uh, by the way, I didn't mention up front, but uh, JDM is minus three fifteen as of yesterday, and Randy Brown is plus two sixty. That's interesting. I, I don't think it's that that far apart. Yeah, plus two sixty seems way like way a, too and way too far mm-hmm. away. There's that's definitely an underestimation. Work. Not enough body work for JDM. I mean, I'll get it when I watch him. I'm like, okay, that guy's the real deal. But now he's going against a guy that has better length, like you mentioned. He's gone against better competition. He's got more fights. He's a little bit more experienced. Um, he doesn't have the the momentum necessarily that JDM has right now, but um, he's got more ways to win. And that's why I was asking about what his wrestling looks like because, you know, can he dictate where the fight's going to take place? If he can dictate where the fight's going to take place, I see this as being a really good opportunity for him because he's going to be able to catch him when he closes the distance. But, uh, you know, that that's really where I see this has to go for Randy Brown to to win. Uh, either keep it, you know, on the outside or he's going to have to do a takedown. He Well, Randy Brown is, and this seems like a silly compliment or a silly evaluation, but he's a true mixed martial artist. And he mixes his martial arts very very well is he a traditional grappler maybe not is he does he come from a wrestling background maybe not but he's got good cage wrestling he knows how to wall walk and get him he knows how to use that cage to his advantage to take people down and hold them down he's got good transitions and scrambles he can submit off of his back he's got all the skills that he needs um and he can just you know sharpen those up as he goes along i don't think he um is lacking in any of those areas. And I think more 
more to that point is that he uses all of those skills very well. Like he actively uses every single part of his game. He never gets in just a striking battle. He will uh, clinch grapple. He will dirty box on the fence. He will change levels and try and take down. He does it all. And that's going to be a real threat to JDM who might not have seen all of those things kind of blended together at the level that a veteran like Brown can do. So the only, so the only way that I like something I see going wrong for Brown is he does a lot of big head movement with his strikes. He gets away with it because usually when he's punching, he's still so far away that him moving his head is plenty of defense and he doesn't need to have his hands up by his, by his head all the time. Uh, and so he can kind of keep them down around his hips for balance uh, or something like that, or frames away. Um, the thing I'm worried about is um, Della Madeleine has got good accuracy, yeah. and he can track people's movements. And when you are as big and tall as Randy Brown, your head movement is just a little bit slower. When you're moving your whole torso, it just moves a little bit slower, and you got a lot of weight behind it. If you're moving and you move the wrong way, if you zig when you should zag and jdm catches him that's gonna be a real bad time i mean he's gonna really amplify the force of whatever punch he gets hit with if he's moving that whole body weight into it and della madeleine is good at closing the distance and he's got really good hands and he punches in good combination so you know zip 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 and then at that last move you should have zapped or whatever and you make the wrong move and Della Madeline is throwing those count or throwing those combinations and the last one clips you, that's still gonna suck. And it's that could be what starts the beginning of the end. I don't think so what do you think? Della Madeline gets it done in one. Um hey, by, by the way, I just looked <sighs> up uh JDM is a brown belt two in BJJ. Mm. Now and, and oh, okay. everyone that that's listening, that that doesn't mean a tremendous amount, but it does mean that he's experienced. And usually yeah. when you're at this level, they, they hold you back so you can win some competitions and, and whatnot. So usually a brown belt in the UFC is a legitimate brown belt. Uh, I almost said he's no Alex Pajeda, who's all striker, no grappler. But yeah. I think Alex is like a purple belt. <laughs> yeah, we haven't seen that yet. <laughs> not not that you'd know it. <laughs> I mean, I just wonder, you know, has JDM become so enamored with the success that he's had on the feet, if he starts to experience some adversity in there, is he going to be able to, to get out of those positions effectively? Is he going to be able to, to continue to execute his game plan if he is now being threatened with the takedown? And I, you know, 11 wins out of 13 by TKO. And then you look Randy Brown, he's got six that were uh, out of his wins, six were knockouts, five were submissions and five were decisions. And so, you know, he can go numerous places with that fight. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I, you know, my gut tells me that this is a really close fight. I feel like this should be maybe minus minus one twenty JDM is, you know, I, if I was a betting man, I sure as hell wouldn't bet this fight, especially at the odds that are out right now. But I would, uh, I, I'm going to take JDM because I still think that he's something special. And I think Randy Brown is, is maxing out right now. Whereas we're seeing, where the ceiling lies for JDM and he's fighting in his home country. He's on a good tear right now. He's going to be extremely confident. I have a lot of concerns about that pick, but that's what I'm going with. I, you know, I think he's right to be confident. Um, 
The last thing I'll say is to your point about his experience with adversity, yes, he has 11 wins uh, by a knockout, but nobody has a nose shaped like an uppercase L <laughs> without experiencing some adversity. Yeah, <laughs> That yeah. is one of the brokest noses I've ever seen, like short of like, Vanderlei Silva and Andre Arlovsky. Um what a what a schnoz on that guy. When you're watching this weekend, just pour one out for Jack de la Madalena's nostrils. There's one other guy that I saw worse. I don't remember his name. He actually was a fighter from Portland and uh really big on the regional scene and got into the UFC. This is like eight or nine years ago, and he broke his mm-hmm. nose and he never bothered to get it fixed. And it was literally sitting at a 45-degree angle on one side of his face. And that's just, like, how he rolled moving forward. Man, that sounds like Chris Lieben, but I don't think it's it not, is. It's not Chris Lieben. No, I don't remember the guy's name. He he, uh, he fizzled <laughs> out pretty hard. Uh, all right, so next we're going to talk about, and this is a really, really exciting fight. This is one that I've been hoping they would make up to, like, like two or three years ago which is Yair Rodriguez, who's sitting at minus 165 versus Josh Emmett, plus 140. Take it away, Buck. This is going to be great. And this is a fight that's for the interim belt. This is the co-main event. So five rounds, if this is for a title fight, five rounds as a co-main. That is important because Yair slows down. And not... Like, he doesn't, like, gas and become a shell of himself... But he gets grappled a little bit easier in the later rounds of a fight. That's going to come Edgar, in. Right? Frankie Edgar controlled him. Uh, Max Holloway got some good ground time. He got some good trips. And Max Holloway is not really known for his wrestling control, but he was able to hold him down pretty good. And uh, in his fight against Jeremy Stevens, uh, in the third round, Stevens got him down and was able to hold him down and land some pretty pretty meaningful ground and pound in that third round when in the first two he wasn't able to close the distance fast enough or wasn't able to you know get his hit or get his hands locked behind your ear's hips oh my gosh i just called him your ear uh because uh i listened to chael sonnen call him yarir over and over and over again in that chael way that he mispronounces every name and i thought it was so funny and now i'm doing it too so, uh, Chael, this one's for you, friend of the podcast, you and Michael Chandler, come on sometime. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I'm looking at Josh M. I got some notes here about him. Uh, the very first thing I wrote is very kickable lead leg. Um, yeah, no joke. In his last fight, y- Yair blasted Max Holloway's leg, absolutely tore it apart. Both sides kicks so hard, sets it up well, hides it in movement really well. And um, the last fight of Josh Emmett that I watched was against Shane Burgos, who is another kind of like outside rangy explosive fighter who's willing to throw down. Um, And Shane Burgos absolutely tore Josh Emmett's leg up, tore it apart. Inside kicks, outside kicks. He he, still won. You're right. Josh Emmett did win that fight. Um, but boy, I didn't see any defense on those leg kicks. He's got a low wide stance and he took those kicks and did not change. How long was he out for at that? 
he he had structural damage to his knee. I think he blew out his ACL, yeah. didn't he? I wouldn't be surprised. So that's I something mean, to, so to look I, at, right? Mm-hmm. That came from, I think he had like a weird foot placement and it was one of those kind of like freak things where he just pivoted wrong and his knee just went out. Um, and then that kind of was the the catalyst of all the damage he took for the rest of the fight. Very tough. You're right. And that's very important to mention. But um, along the same lines of that, like low, long stance that doesn't let him check kicks, he he does not have a ton of tools. What he's got is very good. He has a good jab, and he uses that jab to set up maybe the fastest overhand right I've seen in my entire life. Josh Emmett blitzes forward and slams that hand in. He punches so fast, and he can follow that punch up, so he'll crack somebody with this, like, blazing fast overhand right and all of his weight is going to be loaded on his lead leg and then he torques a huge left hook uh right after it that's his like money combination uh the big overhand right knocked out michael johnson absolutely starched him and then earlier i think in his his ufc career big overhand right missed you know didn't get a clean connection uh, on Ricardo Lamas, and then the follow-up left hook absolutely leveled him. But I haven't really seen anything else, and that's wild. He's a, a huge specialist. Yeah, I, I've, I understand he's got a wrestling background, and that could help him, um, especially like we were talking later in the rounds, especially if this is going to go five rounds because it's an interim fight, interim title fight. That should come into play later. I don't know how well he's going to use it because I, I don't see him do a ton of takedowns. I know he's got them, but I don't see them that often. I think if he relies so heavily on that giant overhand right and follow up left hook, I don't know if he's going to get as much success as he did against the you know middle tier featherweight fighters. Yair's got awesome well, kicks. What about Burgos? So, Go on. I mean, he's got Calvin Qatar or Calvin Cater, uh, yep. Dan Ige, Shane Burgos, uh, all those guys. You know, they, 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 I mean, not the same, obviously, as Yara Rodriguez, but mm-hmm. they're all top-tier talent. Every single one of those was in the in the, in the the top 10, right? Yeah, I, I think I think you, I think Cater actually won that fight. Um, and then Dan Ige, Dan Ige's, he is, he's not as good as he is, which is a weird thing to say, but he doesn't make the best, he, he doesn't make the best adaptations in a fight, um, Dan Ige could have a lot more success, yeah. I think, than he's having. Um, if you're trying to make a run to the right title, the yeah, but right he's now. having a resurgence because he got pieced up by Korean Zombie, who's a thousand, and you Shit, shouldn't be. Josh Bennett or Josh Emmett's thirty-seven years old. Why we haven't yeah. even talked about that yet? Thirty-seven yeah, pretty, years old. You know he's got featherweight. That's for pretty a featherweight. Old. Yeah, and and I think that's part of the reason you see him rely so heavily on those couple tools. But the thing is. Those tools have been so successful, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And they've been successful against top-notch talent. But what I really like about Josh Emmett is his mindset. Uh, there is zero quit in that man. Whereas against Yair Rodriguez, I've seen him in situations where he started to mentally break, uh, a.k.a. Uh, you know Frankie Edgar, uh, Max Holloway. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm getting over a cold, everybody. Uh so I, I think that there's 
a, a lot of good things that Josh Emmett's going to be able to do in the fight. He's hard nosed. He's got, you know, really, really powerful hands that you alluded to earlier. He really forces the pressure, which is, you know, anyone that, that watches a lot of MMA or has fought in MMA before, you'll know that walking backwards is much more exhausting than walking forward. And so what are the kick, you know, what are the knocks against Yair, uh, Yair Rodriguez? Yair Rodriguez, you know, he's 18 and three, 30 years old. He's got a little bit of a reach advantage on Josh, Dem Josh Emmett, but he is one of, if not the most dynamic fighter to watch in the UFC, right? I mean, when you watch him unload, it's like a movie, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of expense at that. And that expense is getting tired. And we've seen time and time again with Yared Rodriguez because he, he took a three-year hiatus basically with only one fight. Uh, you know, he's had a lot of challenges getting into those later rounds against top-tier talent and maintaining it. So usually he wins the first three rounds and then uh, it's a slobber knocker the last two. And Yair Rodriguez, and one thing I've seen about him as well, is he's very hittable. Uh, he throws great. Uh, you know, he throws great combinations, great kicks. He's incredibly powerful. He's dynamic. He's got a good ground game. He does everything right. But a lot of times he gets trapped up against the cage and he gets clipped and he's open to taking one to give one. But against Josh Emmett, I don't know how many of those those overhand rights someone can take to be candid with you. You know, his defense is okay, but what, I mean, what do you think? I mean, I think if your game plan is to take those overhand rights and march forward and keep punching, you're going to be better off at power slap than <laughs> mixed martial arts. Uh, I mean, he does a good job side to side, but he does get trapped a lot, and he is very, very hittable. So, you know, I was watching his fight against Jeremy Stevens. This is Rodriguez. Um, I watched him circling out uh, – as soon as he hits that center octagon, there's like the the smaller black yeah. octagon in the center as kind of like the demarcation that you're approaching the the cage. And as soon as he hits that, he starts to circle out to his side because he I think it's because he knows how much space he needs to be an effective striker. And Josh does not. Josh does not need a ton of space. He can bang in a phone booth and if he if he can you know, cut Yair off and and force him, you know, to make left and rights and, and start to chop away at those legs and, you know, use use some leg kicks himself, slow down Yair's movement and you know, keep him keep him guessing, keep him planted, that's when he's gonna land those big overhand rights. He can totally do it. You're right, he's tough as nails, and so he can stay there for all five rounds and keep throwing exactly as hard. Um, it's going to be tough for him to, if he doesn't have any tools to address that leg kick is my big concern. And if he is, he can punch really fast, but uh, if he's not closing the distance, you know, smart and he's just charging through, I think he's only going to get a few of those before Yair starts to time it and starts to intercept him with knees or big front kicks or that, or, you know. Yeah. That sort of business meets him and engages in a clinch. Yair's getting um, more confident on the ground, more confident on better. his back. He's getting better. Um, He's good getting better scrambles. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, I just, I'm looking at my notes here, and I just have... Here, I'll add something to the conversation here. Yeah, great pressure, vicious leg kicks. So let, let's talk I, about the eye take test. Take it away. Let's talk about the eye test. Mm-hmm. So Yair Rodriguez, he looks the part. That doesn't really mean a whole lot. But when I was watching Yair Rodriguez four years ago, mm-hmm. I was like, that's the next champion. And in a way, I'm surprised that he's not the champion. Right now, obviously, Volkanovsky came along and, you know, he's amazing pound for pound. Great. But I was, you know, there's that long layoff. I was surprised on the couple losses that he got. Josh Emmett, on the other hand, with my with my view on it, he's he's out kicked his coverage significantly. Like I had him pegged as, you know, a fringe top 10 guy, good power, a little bit of a one trick pony. He's getting older. He got into the game late. So, you know, when I when I apply that my MMA math on that, I think Yari Rodriguez is going to take this. I don't think it's going to be easy, but I think what's going to end up happening is Josh Emmett's going to be so over-reliant on that overhand right-left hook combination and trying to pressure him in. I think that Yari Rodriguez is going to time it after he chews up the legs in round one and two. And I think that Emmett's going to duck his head as he comes in, and he's going to get one of those flying knees to the face that's going to drop him probably in round three or round four. It's a pretty good pick. What do you think? Are you who are you going with? Uh, I I'm also going to go with Rodriguez. Uh, you know I think he's he's um going to land some body shots, and I think body shots and leg shots are going to be like the big standout from this fight. And I think one of those is going to uh, start the beginning of the end for Emmett. I think you're right. Late third, fourth round. One of them is finally going to be the thing that, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back, and that's going to change his behavior. He's going to start shuffling backwards. He's going to start playing defense more than offense, and Yair's going to take it, uh, and he's not going to give it back. Yeah, I I think that Yair Yair Rodriguez is a really unique talent, and along with that talent comes uh, the ability to adapt in those situations. I think he's got more tools. I think he's got better technique. And I think against the t- uh, you know a one trick a one trick pony at a at a top tier fight like this, I think it's just a matter of time before he gets met with a TKO from Geyer. All right, so we're on to our final fight. Without further ado, right? Uh, Islam Mahachev minus three sixty five versus Alexander Volkanovsky, who is currently sitting at plus three hundred. Uh, I think we can all agree that this is a fight that. I wanted to just personally say thank you to Dana White for putting together. I didn't expect Volkanovski to take this fight uh, because I wouldn't have taken that fight if I were him. But why don't you take us through your thoughts on this? You, uh, man, you, seriously. I, I, This is all risk for Volk. I mean, That's yes, right. he could be pound for pound. And he so I think pound. why he's, he's, why he's doing this... He's the pound-for-pound number one, but to be the pound-for-pound number one and double champ and take that second belt from pound-for-pound number two is... That would put him at a level above pretty much anybody else in the history of the UFC. What else would you say? I mean, Uh, what else would there be to do if you're Alexander Volkanovsky and you beat Islam and... GSP take that coming belt. back and taking out uh, Michael Bisping was pretty cool, but it's different. It was very cool, 
This Bisping was no number number two pound for pound, though. No, he wasn't. But it was still pretty cool, especially after that layoff. Oh, God. It was such a good fight. That was such a good moment. Yeah, we, um, we have to give so much respect to, to Volkanovski for even entertaining this idea. Uh, this yeah. is something that, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of 170-pounders that would not take mm-hmm. a fight against Islam because I think, you know, they would be concerned that it would ruin their legacy and, you know, completely eliminate any opportunities for the title down the road. Uh, and then we've got Volkanovski who's at 145, cleaning house, nicest guy in the room, and just, you know, willing to step up. I, I wish, you know, we had talked about this earlier. I wish that they promoted this fight better. Uh, this fight just doesn't seem like it's very well promoted. And this is arguably, but I did hear that it is breaking records right now with the pre-buys on pay-per-view. I, there's just not oh, yeah. a ton of information. Yeah, it's actually, you know, I don't know if it's true or not. But the uh, Instagram, which is where I get all mm-hmm. of my news, is saying that it's beating out uh, the Conor McGregor Nate Diaz two fight. Interesting. Yeah. I know that Australia does. Um, I know they bre- break in house attendance records. I think those might have been in Sydney though. I know that Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm was in Sydney. And I think that had like 56,000, which at the time was the largest attended. And then it might have been. I think it's it, it must have been it. It must have been an Israel Adesanya fight. Um, and they sold uh, they they filled like 65,000 people uh, in the stadium. So those are the kind of records that I'm familiar with, um, you know, breaking in Australia. I, pay, in terms of pay-per-view buys, I just don't think this is going to. This is going to crack all those. If it does, great. Good for the UFC. You can use all that money to pay the fighters more. Um, but I don't I don't know if that's what yeah. they're going to get but here. But it also shows you the maturity of the UFC because these are not – these are names. Islam is is a big name now, but he's only been champion for one fight. Volkanovski mm-hmm. has always been an underappreciated champion, and now we're talking about big-time pay-per-view numbers. So as much as we've said that the UFC has had some challenges with promoting their fights and they've got some watered down events, I, I think that there's definitely um, uh, this this ESPN deal has really created a, a significant move into the mainstream. That's for sure. So let's get down to this fight. Um, I you know I think we're gonna sound like everybody else talking about it when we say, "Wow, check out the nuts on Alex. Too bad he's gonna lose." Yep. I. The only thing I've heard to the opposite effect of this is from Dan Hardy uh, in his war room. Uh, Check him out on YouTube. Everybody knows who Dan Hardy is. He's the best. Um, If Alex can stay in the center of the ring uh, and stay away from that cage, that's going to be his best shot. He has really good get-ups. He gets taken down. Um, when he's fighting wrestlers, of course, there's not a huge sample size. The last wrestler he fought was Chad Mendez, and that was before the Aldo fight, before the first Max fight. So two fights before he became champion, which was a while ago at this point, was the last time he fought like a predominant wrestler. Um, and Mendez got him down a couple of times. I think he had like three takedowns, but only like 40 seconds overall of control. So... Alex gets up pretty quick, and if he can stay in the center of the ring and not get held against the cage, he's going to have a little bit better chance. So I'm saying that with the caveat that 
Makhachev won the belt in the center uh, by arm triangle, just counter jab, or I think it was a counter left hook, took out uh, Charles Oliveira down, down. set him down with it, uh, and just marched right through, just jumped through into side control, locked up that arm triangle, passed to side control, got it. Um, But I'll say when he's trying to control, uh, generally, Makhachev does not strike a lot in the center. Uh, with their grappling and they're not by the fence, Makachev is usually trying to control the position and and maybe you know threaten submissions and move his man. But it's not really until they get to this octagon side and Makachev can hold him there that as he starts striking. So maybe a little bit less to deal with if you're in the middle, if you can create that gap, get up over and over again. You know, big if, big if, big if. But I think that's the method that you're going to do here. I don't think Volk has – I mean, he's strong. He's super strong. Yeah. But he doesn't have, like, one-shot knockout power. Uh, and so I don't think he's going to rely on that. He's too smart to rely on, well, maybe I'll be the one to crack him. You know? Yeah. He's not going to fall for that trick. Um, he's got the speed advantage, for sure. He's, and I think, And he's the technical striking advantage, too. Yeah, yeah. If, if Islam – doesn't have the threat of the takedown, his striking is fine. It's all right. But he gets a lot of success with it because he's very smart in how he pairs it with his with his grappling. And and because his grappling is such a threat on its own, that gives him a lot more leeway with his hands. If Islam shoots and can't get the fight down, and he shoots again, he shoots again, and he can't hold him down, that's going to erode his striking. And if he doesn't have the best striking and he can't force where the fight takes place, then he's going to start getting pieced up. So do I see Volk maybe getting a decision? Yeah, I think that could happen. I think if he wins, it's by decision because he just wears him down and, and pieces him up and stays on the outside and doesn't doesn't fall into that trap of, of being driven into the cage and, and getting dragged down. If anybody could do it, it's Volk, but God, that's such a tall order. He yeah. Makachev is so big, he's so strong. Makachev makes he makes lightweights look small, and Volk makes featherweights look big, and that's just uh, the weight bad class, end of that. Weight classes for a reason. Yeah, it's just a bad end of that and I, setup and I to agree be with on. You. And it's a lot. It's a lot like I think of Justin Gaethje versus Khabib Nurmagomedov. You know, mm-hmm. Justin's a better striker than Khabib was. Connor's a better striker than Khabib was. But everyone is so nervous about getting taken down by these these top control Dagestani wrestlers, Sambo champions, that a lot of times it it it, it plays into their they, they get out of their game plan. They get away from their game plan and go into almost a fight or flight mode. I don't think that's gonna happen with Volkanovsky. But remember when Islam Makhachev uh, fought uh Dan Hooker, who was also down the same camp as Volkanovsky. I mean, he he couldn't get away from him. And he has better length. He's got great leg kicks. He's got great striking. Uh, he's he's significantly bigger than Volkanovsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe there's going to be a little bit more of a challenge in, in doing a double leg, you know, just because of how small Volkanovsky is. He's sitting at five foot six. But, uh, you know, in looking at Volkanovsky's wins, at least his last few max holloway not a tremendous wrestler i mean great grappler not a tremendous wrestler korean zombie okay 
Brian Ortega, not a great takedown artist, but a really good jiu-jitsu guy. Not one of those. is He's never seen anything really like what Makachev is going to bring to the table. And I think that Makachev's uh, uh, his striking is better than, than people give him credit for it. He just doesn't really need to use it. I mean, when he needed to use against Oliveira, he planted him firmly on his ass. And everyone's always talking about how great Oliveira's striking is. And, you know, because of the threat of the takedown. So, again, we talk about what are the, the, the keys to a victory here. Well, you know, one of my, my prime ways of looking at a fight is he who can dictate where the fight takes place has a significant, distinct advantage over the other. Uh, Volkanovski is going to be 100% reliant upon the stand-up game because he doesn't have massive power. He's going to have to dart in and out for five rounds. It's a hell of a tall order. Makachev, on the other hand, if he gets one, two, three takedowns over the first 15, you know, 15 minutes, three rounds, I think he has the size and the aptitude to be able to control Volkanovski there. I don't think Volkanovski is going to get back up when he does. I think he's going to get more and more dejected, more and more desperate, which just means he's going to have uh, you know, more looping punch, uh, excuse me, more looping punches, bigger shots. That's going to open up for more and more takedowns. Uh, I, I think this is probably a fight that goes to decision because Volkanovski is just so tough, and it sounds like we're not giving him the respect that he deserves. It just goes to show you how good Islam is, right? I mean, that's kind of what we're all we're all thinking right now. I, I don't see anybody besides maybe uh, uh, Chimaev that has a shot against. Uh, Islam at this point. If if Chimaev were to come down and wave, they were have a super fight somehow. I mean, I think that Islam even takes out Izzy, <laughs> personally. I mean, I I would imagine that Islam is probably close to two hundred when he's not he's fighting. I, I know, I know Michael Chandler is close to two hundred. Um, and and I think Islam is bigger than than Michael is. Uh, Michael, thanks for watching. By the way, love that you're a big fan <laughs> of the show. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I just don't think that I. Th- you know, I really think it's going to be the size. Uh, and and I don't want to saying that sounds like I'm discrediting Islam. That you're just being a weight bully. But I think you need to be much bigger than Islam if you are going to win a grappling match. It's you have to be a weight bully if you're going to beat him. You can't be anywhere close to his size because he can fight up and he'll. He's just gonna outwork and outgrapple those those pressure wrestlers have one game plan and they know exactly how to do it. I I don't know if it's gonna go to decision. I think it'll be a late finish by Islam. Okay. So there's one caveat that we we talked about uh, well before we had this the, the the podcast. So Khabib is the the head coach over at, at Eagle MMA in Dagestan, which he was the primary trainer of Islam, Umar, all these guys out of Dagestan. And before that, it was uh, Khabib's dad. So Khabib has announced his retirement. And if you've ever watched videos of of how those those fight camps go, um, he is first and foremost a leader of that group. And he's the one that that commands all of the, uh, the discipline in the group. He's one dictate who's going to fight when, uh, dictates who's going to be sparring that day dictates how hard everyone's going to go if they were to come in. Let's say, for example, they were they looked tired the next day. Khabib would take their phone and, and make sure they got a good night rest before. Uh, there's no drinking, no partying, no smoking. You have to have your hair cut a certain way to participate in the camp. 
So that that's gone. And I don't know who's going to fill that vacuum or what impact that's going to have on this Dagestani rain that we're looking at right now. Uh, so I think that's the one caveat. That's the unknown as to what it's going to look like. I don't think it's going to start with Islam. I think Islam is is so fermented as one of the best fighters in the world and in a, in a generational talent. I think he's going to take this one, but it'll be interesting to see how that's going to affect like his cousin, Umar Nurmagomedov and, and some of these other up and coming fighters over the next three or four years. Yeah. But if that's the battle, if, if, if we're talking about maybe, maybe somebody next to Islam is going to lose in three years, that's hey, it's it's a conversation. That's pretty confident. <laughs> that's pretty confident I had to bring up in him some, right now. I had to bring up some adversity for Islam, right? You know, to, yeah, man, to make this a little more we're, even. We're keeled. scraping the bottom of the barrel to find that. <laughs> you know, this is a great fight. I think we're gonna see some really incredible displays of technical skill. I think there's not a lot of animosity in this. There's like fake buildup, but I think this is gonna be a very respectful awesome display of mixed martial arts i think everybody win or lose i think everybody's going to be happy this happened and i think it's going to be a really good show so i'm excited either way excited too all right so you're taking islam i'm taking islam that wraps up ufc 284 for us i want to say thank you again for everyone taking the time to listen and we got a big fight coming up on uh, is it march 4th or march 5th with john jones versus cyril gone Coming up. That we're going to be uh, putting out a show for. Uh, in the meantime, you can go to Instagram, uh, Caged Wisdom MMA. We'll have our fighter picks there in the next couple days. But again, thank you. Have a great week and enjoy the fights. And we will see you next time.